I apologize. That tells you I was really into worship tonight because I forgot to turn my mic on. Oh, anyway, as Nicole was singing that chorus, when, the glory's in, when his glory's in the room, nothing else matters and nothing else is needed, I, you know, the very last chapter of Exodus we're going to be looking at in a couple of weeks, I, I, I can't even imagine for those people when his glory came down and filled the tabernacle, what that was like. In fact, it tells us, very interesting, you know, Moses went in to the glory, that glory cloud on the mountain for 40 days, and yet when God's glory fell over that tabernacle in Exodus chapter 40, it tells us Moses couldn't even go in. It was more than he could bear. That, that's how weighty, that's how heavy the glory of God fell upon the tabernacle. Oh, gives me chills, gives me chills. Hey, before we get into Exodus 38, I want to ask you something tonight. I know that you all pray over our services every week, but I, I want to particularly ask you to be praying over our upcoming services on Sunday at 9 and 11. I, I'm, I'm particularly burdened about those services this Sunday. I think when we talk about failure and our failure and how we respond to it, we have a great opportunity on Sunday to see some restoration happen, to see God restore. And the enemy doesn't like to see restoration happen. The enemy wants to keep us all down when we fail. And I, I, I can already sense, I think, the spiritual battle and warfare going on in the background, even as Sunday approaches. So would you join me in prayer over those two services because I, I really do sense that the Lord wants to bring restoration to some folks on Sunday in both of those services. Exodus chapter 38, these last few chapters of Exodus, listen, these aren't throwaway chapters. These are amazing chapters. And so we want to we wanna end Exodus on a strong note. And Moses certainly shares with us, again, a lot of great stuff in these last couple of chapters here of the book of Exodus. I want to start tonight, though, in verse 21 of Exodus 38 for this reason. The only time in the Bible this phrase is used, it is used here in Exodus 38, 21, and it's significant. At times throughout our study of the book of Exodus, We've seen the phrase, the Ark of the Testimony, speaking of the Ark of the Covenant of the Testimony, and we've seen the tabernacle referred to as the tent of meeting where God will meet with his people, but we've never seen this phrase. This is the inventory of the tabernacle, the tabernacle of the testimony. Why is that significant? Because God is saying, my tabernacle, my sacred space, my meeting place with my people is to be evidence of me, evidence of the supernatural living God, that when my people come together to worship me and meet with me in my house, there should be evidence of the almighty God. There should be evidence of who he is. 
There should be evidence of what he is all about, not only in our relationship to him and how we relate to him, but in even how we are relating to one another as God's people. That is also evidence of God in his house. I mean, Jesus talked about that when he said, by this kind of love, the same kind of love that I have for you, that's how all men will know that you're my disciples. Evidence of God and in a supernatural way. You know, Warren Wiersbe, many of you are probably familiar with him, years ago he said, I believe that 90% of church ministry could happen uh, without anybody, you know, knowing that God's in it because it, it's all done by human beings and human power and human strength and there's nothing really supernatural taking place. The church should be a place where there's continually supernatural things happening and going on because that's who God is. And that should be what his house is all about. It should be evidence of God. It should be a witness of who our God is in our lives and in how we relate to him. So that's significant. The tabernacle of the testimony. We must remember that as part of God's household, we continually are charged with the responsibility of bearing evidence of God as we come together and we meet with him. That's why it's so important that when we come together, we know God's presence is here and we sense it and we feel it and we move to it and we respond to it and we see things happening. As we pray, we see God answering prayer. We see miracles being done. We see lives being changed. We see God being exalted. We see him being in, uh, sitting upon the praises of his people, inhabiting the praises of his people, coming down, moving, working, all of these things, evidence of God. That's what the house of God is supposed to be about. Now, as we get to chapter 38, again, we are in the last stages of the progress of constructing the tabernacle and putting, if you will, all the pieces together. And you'll notice, actually, that chapter 38 starts out with these two words. He made. Who's the he? Bezalel. He starts back in chapter 37. Oliab and Bezalel. The, now, they weren't the only ones that did everything, but they were the ones that sort of oversaw the entire project. So God uses that phrase throughout. He made. Look at verse 2. He made. Verse 3. He made. The end of verse 3. He made. Verse 4. He made. He cast. He made. All through. But he couldn't make it without the enablement of God, without the grace of God, God's supernatural enablement and empowerment. We've seen that throughout our study of Exodus. God put in to all of these people who built and designed the tabernacle, the skill, the wisdom, the, the artistry, the creativity, all of that, you see. In fact, over in chapter 38, look at verse 22 and 23. Bezalel made everything that the Lord had commanded Moses, and with him Oliab, again, a designer, an artisan, an embroiderer of all these things. The story of Bezalel and Eliab shows us that God cares about aesthetics. He is a God of beauty and design. 
fine craftsmanship and skill in various artistic endeavors is a gift from God. Bezalel and Eliab should encourage Christian artists today to create works of art for the glory of God. God made us like him in his image. That means even for the most unartistic person, there's some kind of artistry inside of you. There's some kind of creativity inside of you because that's a reflection of God, and that was his house. As we've seen throughout our study of the book of Exodus, this house was beautiful. You could see the artistic design and beauty and symmetry in every detail of the tabernacle, from all of the furniture down to even the, the priestly garments and every little thing that was stitched into the garments. It was all a reflection of God. And therefore, I want to encourage you tonight. Find that, that creative, artistic part of you and let God use that. Let him work through you in that way. You know, our worship team, in a sense, is an illustration, an example of that every Wednesday and Sunday. But all of us can be a part of being artists, if you will, before God. We may not have uh, the ability to sing or play like these folks do, but God has given you some kind of creativity, some kind of artistry, if you will. I know many gals in this church, I was thinking of them when it talks about embroidery and, and uh, design and, and being artisans and all of that. Use those skills because, again, they are a reflection of the glory of God when we do those things. So that's where I wanted to start. But as I said, tonight is also all about the grace of God, God's generous favor and blessing, his supernatural enablement and empowerment upon an undeserving people. Remember, the study of Exodus reminds us God has taken a group of slaves and transformed them into a group of worshipers. And God has done the same thing with us. We at one time without Christ were hopeless and slaves to sin. And now through the blood of Jesus Christ, he's made us into worshipers. When we study the life of David, coming up in just a little bit. We will find that God even goes a step further. He goes from slaves to worshipers to building a significant nation out of these people that were once slaves. A significant nation that would make an impact and influence the world in which they lived in. And God, again, wants to do the same thing with us, taking us from being slaves to sin, transforming us into worshipers, and then turning us into his church that can make an impact upon the world in which we live. God is doing the same thing today that he was doing back then. So let's look, first of all, at the grace of God expressed through the altar for the burnt offering in verse 1. God in his grace here, through this altar of burnt offering, would provide a way to be in relationship with him. 
Again, through what we even talked about Sunday with Jesus, a substitutionary sacrifice. These animals that were sacrificed every day upon the altar of burnt offering. And let's not forget, it was the very first piece of furniture, if you will, or equipment as you entered into the courtyard, which was a reminder to the people, you cannot experience the presence of God, you cannot get close to God without dealing with sin first. You got to deal with sin in order to get close to God. So the burnt offering, the altar of it, was right there inside the uh, courtyard. And so again, it all pointed, obviously, even back then, to Jesus Christ, the one who would come, who would literally take away sin. The animal sacrifices covered it temporarily. But only Jesus and only his sacrifice, the writer of Hebrews says, could take away sin for all time, once and for all. And so, again, a beautiful picture of the grace of God. Why? Because we don't deserve that. But God supplied a way to him, a way to have a relationship with him, a way to deal with sin so that we could be close to him and be in fellowship with him. That's all because of his grace. And when we begin to recognize how much that we experience and enjoy from God is all of grace, to me, it's going to stir our hearts of worship. You know, we live in a society today and in a world maybe like never before where everybody feels like they deserve what they get and that they have a right to all this stuff. And God wants us to see it just from the opposite perspective. If we got what we deserved, we would have spent an eternity in hell, paying for our own sin. But when we recognize that everything we have through Christ is all because of his grace, then that means every day we have a lot to praise God for, a lot to worship him for, because he's provided a way through his grace. Verse 2, he made these horns on the four corners of this altar. And we've already talked about the fact that on them, the blood of the sin offering would be smeared and also that the animals would be tied to those horns. So in the first part here, you have the altar of burnt offering. But then notice too, that right beyond the altar of burnt offering was the laver or the basin of bronze. You see it there in verse 8. And why is that significant? Because God needed to deal with sin, but God also wanted to teach his people that the closer you get to me, you need to be cleansed and purified. And that's why when the priests would handle the sacrifices and get dirty and bloody and the ashes and all that, they need to continually wash themselves at the laver or the basin throughout the day before they would approach or come near anything else in the tabernacle. And if any worshiper wanted to come close to the Lord, they had to wash. It's sort of very similar to what Jesus told Peter after he had or when he was washing their feet. Because Peter wanted Jesus to wash him all over, and Jesus says, no, that's not necessary. 
Once you've trusted in me, you don't need to be washed all over again. You don't need to be saved all over again. You just need to have your feet washed. You just need to go through that cleansing. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse us from our sins, John says. So we've just got to continually be cleansed as we walk with Christ. Again, illustrated all the way back in the Old Testament. Same God, just looked at a little bit differently. But here's what I want you to see tonight as well. This is beautiful. Notice it says in verse 8, he made the large basin of bronze and its pedestal of bronze from the mirrors of the women who served at the entrance of the tent of meeting. These servant women that served every day in the tabernacle brought their most precious possession, as far as I'm concerned, and had that used to melt down and used to make the basin of bronze. These would have been mirrors that, these, that any woman would have treasured. It would have been a true treasured, prized possession. And where did they get these mirrors from? Egypt. The Egyptian women and the Egyptian culture were known for making the finest mirrors in the world up to that time. And they would have brought these mirrors out of Egypt. They would have treasured these mirrors. They would have prized these mirrors. They would have been precious to them. And yet notice, because the grace of God was working in their life and they were responding to it, that they wanted to give these mirrors to be melted down so that the bronze could be used for the wash basin. Wow. That shows, and we're going to see this later, when God's grace is being received by his people, his people become like him. They become generous. They become gracious. They become givers rather than takers. That's what you see here with these dear women willing to give up their most... All I could think about was that dear woman in the Gospel of John who brought her most precious prized possession, that, that alabaster ointment of perfume, and broke it over Jesus Christ and anointed him as she wept and her tears went down upon his feet and she wiped his feet with her hair. I mean, she was giving up the most precious thing to her, but it, it didn't even come close to how precious Jesus was to her. That, that's where these women were coming from. It's like nothing's more precious than our God and being in his presence and experiencing his presence and being cleansed. We will gladly give our mirrors in order that they can have the bronze from these mirrors. Then verse 9. He, along with many others, made the courtyard. The courtyard, think of it as our lawns today, the environs of our house if you will, the border that marks our homes and our property. That was the courtyard. And all the people of God would gather around the courtyard to worship the Lord. It was so significant. Now, a couple things before we turn to some scriptures tonight. Notice in verse 18, there was only a single gate 
into the courtyard. In other words, there was only one way into the presence of God. Just like today, there's only one way to the Lord. And the curtain in verse 18 and 19 was so high, seven and a half feet, that one could not see over this curtain. The only way to meet with God was to enter through the door. You could not be a casual worshiper. You could not casually, God could not, he did not set up the tabernacle to where somebody could just sort of, you know, take a peek and like, oh, I wonder what's going, no, no. You had to commit. You had to go through the door of the courtyard if you wanted to truly experience the Lord. You know, it's like today, many people today want to sort of sit at the edges and they want to be spectators in the house of God and they don't truly want to get engaged and immersed into the body of Christ and into what God is doing. You and I will never experience all that God has for us if we're sitting outside trying to look in. God wants us to come in. Come in inside to truly experience him. But keep your finger in Exodus 38. I want to go to some verses out of the Psalms to show you the importance of the courtyard or the courts of the Lord. And I want to go to a verse we looked at last week to begin with tonight, Psalm 100 and verse 4. By the time we get done looking at this verse, some of you are just going to go ahead and have it memorized if you don't already. Psalm 100, verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Come into his gates. By the way, this is an invitation to what? Corporate worship. Yes, it is so important that we are individual, personal worshipers of God every day. But this psalm is an invitation for people to come and corporately in community, worship the Lord within the gates of his courtyard with thanksgiving. God wants a crowd of adoring worshipers. By the way, this word thanksgiving not only speaks of adoration, it speaks of one who extends our hands. Now, I'm not saying if you don't feel comfortable or want to extend your hands when you worship, that's fine, but it's biblical. It's biblical. That's what the word means, to adore God with extended hands. Then look, enter his gates and his courts with songs of praise. That's what the word praise means, songs of praise. Give him thanks. Again, worship with extended hands. Praise his name. The word praise also can be translated bless. It is a word that speaks about adoring God on bended knee. Psalm 100, verse 4. Enter his gates and his courts with praise. Then go with me to, back to Psalm 84. Psalm 84, verse 2 and verse 10. I desperately long for, have a passionate desire to want to be in the courts of the Lord's temple. Wow. Oh, if only Christians had that kind of desire and passionate desire for the house of God today. 
my heart and my entire being shout. That means to sing out. That means to cry out. And then he says, shout for joy, to be overcome with joy because of our God. My heart and my entire being shout for joy to the living God. And then, of course, we sung about this tonight. Verse 10, certainly spending just one day in your temple courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. Wow. Could you imagine the transformation that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ would have today if every true Christian truly embraced that? That one day in God's house is better than a thousand doing anything else. By the way, the word better here means of greater benefit and blessing and more beautiful. It is of greater benefit and blessing and more beautiful to be in the courts of the Lord. And then one more, Psalm 92, verse 13. Psalm 92. Actually, I'm going to start in verse 12. The godly grow like a palm tree. They grow high like a cedar in Lebanon. Planted in the Lord's house, they grow where? In the courts of our God. By the way, you'll notice three times in those two verses, what do the godly do? They grow. They grow. Spiritual growth is so vital if we're going to align ourselves with God. And where's one of the primary places we should be growing? In God's house, in the courts of our God. And so you can see how the courtyard or the courts of God literally are strewn all over the Psalms especially, but all through the Old Testament because it meant something to those people. As soon as the psalmist or someone else would talk about the courts or the courtyard, they knew exactly what they were talking about and how precious it was and what a privilege it was to be able as God's people to enter his courts and experience his presence in community with other people people of God. Again, yes, we can relate to God on a personal level, and that's important, and we've got to do that every day, but we've also got to value coming together as God's people, realizing that there's a dynamic that happens when God's people come together with him that happens in no other way, and that God values his people coming into his courts. Well, let's go back to Exodus 38 then. A couple other things, and then I want to go to a passage of Scripture to close with. If you begin in verse 24 of Exodus 38, you see the significant contributions, offerings that the people of God made to build everything that the tabernacle needed. And I want you to see this because, again, this is an expression that God's grace was working in their lives because the same principle is true today 
with God's people, and we're going to see that in just a moment when we turn to 2 Corinthians. Notice in verse 24 how much gold was given. By the way, I don't know exactly, so I had to do a little computation there. They gave over a ton of gold, a ton of gold. Then if you look down at verse 25, how much silver did they give? Over four tons of silver. Then if you look down at verse 29, how much bronze did they give for the building of the tabernacle? Two and a half tons of bronze. Over a ton of gold, four tons of silver, two and a half tons of bronze. By the way, where'd they get all that? Egypt. That was a lot that they brought out of Egypt, wasn't it? And yet they're at a place where experiencing the presence of God is so important to them, of such value and worth, that they're willing to give it all to God to build his sacred space so that they could interact with their God. That's how important the sacred space was that they gave all of this for the completion of all of it, down again to the finest detail. And again, how could they do this? How could they be so generous and so giving? Because at this point in their lives, they were allowing the grace of God to basically take over their hearts and minds. And to close with tonight, I'd like to show you this principle from the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 9, verses 7 through 15. 2 Corinthians, chapter 9, verses 7 through 15. In fact, when folks ask me, why do we not talk about money very much at the Oasis? And why do we not pass an offering plate and all of that? Because my philosophy, my belief is that if the grace of God is moving in people's lives, they will give. They will not need to be, you know, made to feel guilty. They will not have to have their arm twisted. They will not have to be manipulated. It won't have to be something that's talked about all the time. It will be something that they want to do because of the grace of of God that's operating in their life. Look at verse 7. Each one of you should give just as he decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace, don't miss that, overflow to you so that because you have enough of everything in every way at all times, you will overflow in every good work. That also ties into the fact about learning through God's grace to be content with what we have instead of always wanting more, so that we can be more giving. Just as it is written, verse 9, he has scattered widely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness remains forever. So God is the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food, and he will provide and multiply your supply of seed and will cause the harvest of your righteousness to grow 
you will be enriched in every way so that you may be generous on every occasion, which is producing through us thanksgiving to God. Because the service of this ministry is not only providing for the needs of the saints, it's also overflowing with many thanks to God. In other words, when things are operating right on the giving level, we're not only meeting the needs that need to be met, but God's the one that's getting all the glory for it. Why? Because the motivation, the inspiration for doing it all is that people are responding to the grace of God in their hearts. Verse 13, through the evidence of this service, they will glorify God because of your obedience to your confession in the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your sharing with them and with everyone. And in their prayers on your behalf, they long for you because of the extraordinary grace God has shown to you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. A gift, by the way, that is all God's grace. Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Redeemer. How could we ever outgive the Lord? for what he's given to us. Everything that we have, every ability, every skill, every talent, every resource, it all comes from God. It all goes back to him. And when we recognize that and acknowledge his grace, because we don't deserve any of it, then we become more like him. We become givers rather than takers. We become generous. And we can't give too much. We can't do too much. And the same principle that was operating in the churches of Macedonia that Paul's addressing here in Corinthians was the same principle that was operating at this time in Israel's history back in Exodus 38. How could those women give up their most precious possession? Because of God's grace. How could the people of Israel give over a ton of gold, four tons of silver, two and a half tons of bronze? Because of the grace of God. Because God's grace brings us to a place where we're willing to say yes to God, where we're willing to surrender. Because even as we worshiped and sung about tonight, he's worthy of it all. He is worthy of it all. So why withhold anything from the Lord if he's asking for it? We give it because of grace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for the beautiful picture of the tabernacle, God. Even the tabernacle itself is a reminder of your grace, that you, the transcendent God of the universe, was willing to come down and dwell in this little tent in the desert for 40 years with your people. That's how much your people mean to you. That's how much you love people, that you're willing to do that 
not because we deserve your presence or we deserve your provision or your protection or your power or anything from you, God, but you give it because you are a gracious God because you want to. You want to show favor and blessing to people. And God, we here tonight, we stand here and we sit here as very favored and blessed people. As the psalmist says, Lord, you leave even abundance in your wake. How can we not be a people then that have such a longing and passionate desire to enter your gates with thanksgiving and your courts with praise? How can we not want to come together and lift you up and exalt you for who you are and all that you have done for us? God, we thank you for your grace. It is wonderful. It is marvelous. It is amazing. It is beyond our comprehension. But we're so thankful for it, God, because without your grace, we have nothing. God, apart from Jesus Christ, we are spiritual paupers. But with Christ and in Christ, we are spiritually wealthy and rich. We have all that we could ever imagine. May we be reminded every day through your grace, God, just how wealthy and prosperous and rich we are because of Jesus, our Savior. And these things we pray in his dear name. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for coming. We'll see you next week.